The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Do you want a beautiful lawn? Enter True Green, the easiest way to get a great lawn. Just water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, and more. True Green is the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. And they have a verified best price, which guarantees you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. You do you. Let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com, T-R-U-G-R-E-E-N.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people. Guaranteed. I'd like to ask your help. The people in the cheaper seats, clap your hands. <laughs> and the rest of you, if you just rattle your jewellery. Talk is Jericho, baby. Talk is Jericho. Talk is Jericho, mama. Talk is me. All right, welcome to Talk is Jericho. It is the pod of thunder and rock and roll and some serious rock and roll today. One of the greatest rock and roll albums of all time. It's the 50th anniversary of the release of the Beatles' Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band record. And today, the Fab Three are reuniting to break down the album, explain why the Beatles are the greatest band in rock and roll history, and why this just might be their masterpiece. And of course, when I'm talking about the Fab Three, I'm talking about myself and my two good friends and fellow Beatles fanatics, Mike Portnoy and uh, Anthrax drummer Charlie Benanti. We heard Beatles Benanti with Charlie and myself. We've heard the Fab Three talk about the Beatles' uh, 50th anniversary of the Ed Sullivan Show with Mikey and, Anna and uh, Charlie. They're both on the show before. And I had to have him back for this monumentous occasion. We've got so much history and trivia, favorite songs on the record, least favorite songs on the record, the role that the Beach Boys Pet Sounds album might have played in the making of Pepper, what we thought when we first heard it, and Mike even talks about getting the double vinyl album as a kid and checking out the back of the album that had the song lyrics printed on it. It was a first in music history, printed lyrics in the back of the record. A lot of firsts in rock and roll history. Thanks to this album, you'll discover a few more as you listen. Speaking of the Beatles and England, I'm headed across the pond myself next week i've got a lot going on over there in england and in ireland as well i'm doing a words of jericho show two of them actually uh, but the one i'm talking about is vicar street in dublin on june 8th there's still a few tickets left just uh, literally just a scattered few go to ticketmaster.ie for information on the june 7th words of jericho soul a show in belfast completely sold out and i've got another words of jericho live show lined up in my hometown of winnipeg i'm from winnipeg you idiot august 25th is going to be at the club region event center Lance Storm and Cyrus will be the, uh, the special guests. Tickets on sale at Ticketmaster.com. And then, of course, in England, talking about England, the home of the Beatles, Fozzie's playing the Download Festival June 11th main stage with Aerosmith. Get there early. We're on early. Then I'm hosting the Metal Hammer Golden Gods Awards on June 12th at the O2 Arena in London. 13th, we're at the Crawford Arms in Milton Keynes. And Fozzie might have one more gig on the 14th. Keep your eyes and ears peeled. Then we're back in the States doing the Pain in the Grass Festival in Seattle, Washington, June 20th. 
24th. So many more. Sonic Boom, October 1st. That's going to be over in uh, Wisconsin. And we got uh, lots of other great big shows and tours upcoming. Stay tuned. And thanks to you guys, the Judas video has gone viral. Over 4.2 million views and climbing in just over a month. It's ridiculous. The feedback for the song has been crazy. Mainstream acceptance, TMZ, everything. Our highest charting song to date as well on the radio. So let's give it another spin right here. Hopefully someday someone will be talking about Judas and Fozzie in 50 years, the same way we're going to be talking about Sgt. Pepper. But in the meantime, here it is, Judas by Fozzie. Personified, and I will drag you down and sell you out. Run away. I am cold like December snow. I have carved out this soul made of stone, and I will drag you down and sell you out. Embraced by the Whatever I become, now that 
All right. I know a lot of you uh, really dig that song. I appreciate it. If you watch the video, I appreciate it. If you bought the the, uh, the single, if you've done neither, what are you waiting for? Go help us out, man. And we're still fitting up, uh, finishing up the new Fozzie record. Pauly D's doing a couple of last minute bass tracks. Rich Ward's laying down some guitars. And then the record will be out in the fall, September. Lots coming up for Fozzie. So uh, lots coming up right here for Sergeant Pepper. Mike Portnoy, Charlie Benanti are coming up. But first, I'm going to show a little appreciation to one of the sponsors, who's also the reason why I'm doing some of the best singing in my career with Fozzie. I'm talking about Diamond Dallas Page and DDP Yoga. DDP Yoga really helps strengthen your core, and that's where singing comes from, your core. You'll you really hear what it's done for me. When the new Fozzie album comes out this fall, all of us in the band have been doing DDP Yoga on this last tour. It's helped everybody stay healthy, loose, limber on the road, no injuries from all the craziness on stage, and DDP can help you get in shape and live a healthier life as well. It's easier now than it ever was before, thanks to the DDP Yoga Now app. That's what I'm using. So is Fozzie guitar player Rich Ward. The app lets you do the workouts wherever and whenever you want. I'm doing it backstage at the venue, in the dressing room, on the bus, in the hotel room. I just open up the app and get to work. All right. DDP Yoga is a great program for anyone, any age, any skill level. So much more than just a workout. It's a healthier way to live. And Diamond Dallas Page has made it so easy for you to get on board his life-changing program. Just take advantage of this tremendous deal that Dallas is offering. He's giving you 20% off the DDP Yoga Now app and all DDPY merch and swag. Just go to ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. There's a bunch of new workouts on the app and the ability to do live workouts from the DDP Yoga Performance Center. He's got nutrition tips and recipes and lots of tools to help you track your progress. And like I said, Dallas is offering you this incredible deal on DDPY. Get 20% off the DDP Yoga Now app and all DDPY related match. Just go to ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. That's all you got to do to take advantage of this great deal ddpyoga.com slash Jericho that's ddpyoga.com slash Jericho get in the best physical and mental shape of your life and do it now DDP is going to take you all the way Talk is Jericho So this has been a long time coming um, with the Fab 3 I believe we called each other didn't we Mike? Was it the Fab 3? Yeah, yeah Fab so we, 3 We did this one it was the Beatles uh, 50 year anniversary of the Ed Sullivan show which is Charlie uh, Benanti, Mike Portnoy, and myself. And now here we are, because it was 50 years ago today that Sergeant Pepper taught the band to play, if I may mm-hmm. be so bold. We're going to discuss taught Pepper 50. Taught us all how to play. <laughs> taught us all how to play, that's right. The 50-year anniversary of Sergeant Pepper. Time flies. I can't believe last time we did this was the 50-fed Sullivan, because that was, in their years, it was 64, and now here we are in 67, so we haven't spoken in three years, man. That's A great. A lot has happened. It's been th- from between Ed Sullivan and Sergeant Pepper. Well, and just to talk about that, it's funny because when I had Lars on the show, and I think we've discussed this, like the the time frame between Death Magnetic and uh, Hardwired was longer than the entire Beatles recorded catalog. Oh God, that's crazy. <laughs> so, so you think the differences of what they went through from '64 to '67? It's it's still astronomical to me that a band could progress and evolve like that. Absolutely. I Not think, only well, I think time moved Charlie. slower back in the '60s and even the '70s. I think time started to speed up around the '80s. How do you mean? Uh, I mean nowadays, uh, a year seems like three months. <laughs> you know, right? So a year goes by, and it's like uh, I haven't talked to you in a year, dude. It seems like yesterday. No, it's a year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, the thing is, too, though, I think. Um, we still talk about this from time to time when you when you say like, well, who's the greatest rock and roll band of all time? And there's 
all the different debates, and most of the time it centers around the Beatles and the Stones. And obviously the Stones have the longevity, and the Stones, like crazy Andreas Kisser told us, Charlie, they can play all their songs live. (laughs) (laughs) Was that a defining moment for for both of us? Like when he just stood up and said that, we both looked at each other like, I don't know if I'm mad at him or if I if I'm uh, you know agreeing with him, you know. Let's tell Mike the story. So we're on the bus, and it's when uh, Andreas was um, he was filling in for Scott when Scott was having his baby, and so right. you know Charlie and I were in the back of the bus just talking about the Beatles and how the great the Beatles are and how they're the greatest rock and roll band of all time. And then Andreas, what did he say, Charlie? He's like, I don't agree. I, don't, I think the Stones are the better band because the Stones continued. They were a rock, but they played shows. The Beatles gave up. And yeah. And, or, or something to that effect. But then he, and he's also like, and the Stones can play all their songs live where the Beatles couldn't. But just the way well, that... That's, the, that's the, because the Beatles created music that couldn't be played live. I think that they were the Beatles were creating symphonies, whereas the Stones were just creating rock and roll songs. Blues tunes. And I, I say that with all due respect to the Stones. I love them, too. But, you know, when, when, when there's the, are you a Beatles guy or are you a Stones guy? If I have to draw that line, there's no question I'm a Beatles guy first. I just and I think it's because they were creating musical symphonies, you know, once they stopped touring in 66. And, and this was the album, you know, we're going to get into it now. But, you know, once they made Sgt. Pepper from that point forward, it, they weren't creating music to be played live on stage. They were creating albums. Mm-hmm. The, the, the specific reason was to not do music that you could play live because they had no intentions of playing live anymore at that exactly. point. After all this, it's just so funny though. Like Charlie and I were in such a, uh, we were so defiantly Beatles, but just the way that Andreas uh, explained it. Plus, he was he was packing a, a bong that he made out of an apple, which I was yeah. <laughs> so between was it those a green two, apple or a red one, yeah, right? Probably, it was a green one. It was just to fit right in. But yeah, I just remember <laughs> that. It was in Sweden or something, or Germany, I think. Somewhere, maybe uh, Denmark or whatever it was. But what you just said, Mike, was, was very um, v- very uh, poignant because the Beatles did make a concerted effort to not tour anymore. That was the end of it in 66. They were fed up with it, and they decided just to become a studio band at that point. I, well, I think, you know, the funny but, thing about that is, like, they, meaning the three of them, wanted to stop it before that, but Paul kind of made them come on, you know, we're a rock and roll band, we need to play, we're, we're musicians, so I think that's why they did it as long as they did. But I bet they would have stopped, you know, way before that. Mm-hmm. I think they were just on an endless cycle, and I think a lot of it probably had to do with Brian Epstein as well, you know, just milking, milking the machine and keeping it busy, you know, going from studio to the stage to a TV show to a movie, and it just never stopped, and uh, you know, they, they put their foot down in 66 after the Candlestick Park show and said, we, we, you know, we don't, don't want to do it anymore. But you got to think, if, you know, Brian Epstein died the next year. You got to wonder if Brian had lived, if somehow they would have been somehow um, coerced to going back on tour somehow. You know, I wonder if Brian Epstein would have, you know, gotten the, the cycle moving again. Who knows? Well, it was also starting to get like um, like physical threats, death threats when they went to Japan. Don't go to Tokyo, you will die. Um, the, the thing that happened in the Philippines where Melda yeah, Marcos exactly. got insulted that they didn't show up for lunch and then kind of pulled their passports when they were on the runway. I think all that sort of stuff was just like, we've had enough of this this ridiculousness, you know? Yeah, even in America with, the, with John Lennon, you know, claiming that they were bigger than Jesus, I mean, that blew up in their face, and people were burning albums. So it seemed like 
the tides were turning and, and, you know, they had just had enough and they just wanted to, you know, go into the studio and, and make some art. Mm-hmm. Well, let's talk about this. So the album before this was Revolver. Was, yeah. Yeah. So you can already start to see the changes. And it's funny because Charlie and, and I and, and uh, Sammy Zane from the WWE just did a real dissertation on Revolver a few months ago. But you can start to see the... Um, the changes of going from the basic rock and roll to that Dylan-esque, and then they're starting to get into the, I guess for lack of a better term, the psychedelic uh, style that the Beatles embraced. Well, and then what's, I think, would that be the first album that no Beatles played on one song? Or was that yesterday? Because Eleanor Rigby yeah, yesterday was, was on first. Revolver. Oh, so you're saying that the first album where only one guy plays on it and the rest of the Beatles are not? Right, and that's... I think that's Eleanor Rigby. Um, and I think Eleanor Rigby pretty much was what was to come. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And well, I, I think, think if anything about Revolver leading up to Pepper, you have Tomorrow Never Knows. Yes. And and you have Eleanor Rigby, two songs that would have never been on any other Beatle album. But here they were growing and expanding their, you know, their horizons. Well, throw, you can throw Love You Too in there as well, right? Yeah, yeah. A, yeah the, I mean, the, the writing was on the wall with Revolver, and it's interesting that Revolver was made while they were still touring. They toured after Revolver mm. came out, but yet didn't play any songs off the album. Really? Yeah, because they were still touring in 66. And, uh, Good but point. But at that point, they didn't play any of those songs. I think that was because they were already realizing what you could do in the studio and were experimenting. But I think... I Tomorrow thought they never did play which, which, one song. I thought they played Paperback Rider. They did play Paperback well, that Rider. that was officially on the album. That was one of the that's 45s from that period. Yeah, no, did. you know, but that's recorded with that record. But I'm saying, yeah, I mean, that's the only one they probably could pull off. Well, they did Day Tripper as well. I have a bootleg from, from that last Japan Budokan show where they do Day Tripper and, and Paperback Rider. But I think the last song in Revolver was truly the turning point. You know, once you heard, once Tomorrow Never Knows came on, it was like, okay, this is this. That was the signal to bring us into '67. And I don't know if you guys watch Mad, but uh, Mad Men is a great time capsule of the '60s. You know, it starts in the totally. early '60s, it goes all the way to the end. And there's one scene in in Mad Men where um, where Don Draper like is cured and drops the needle on this new Beatles album, and he hears and the Tomorrow Never Knows comes on. And it's like this moment where it just drew a line in the sand between, you know, the, the conservatives and the hippies in the 60s. And that was the song. And, and it's funny because after about a minute or two, he just, you know, strikes the needle across the record. He just wants <laughs> nothing to do with it because it was not his thing. He couldn't take it, yeah. That wasn't his Beatles, but that was that was the signal of what was to come. And, and you know, that was... It was kind of like "Got to Get You Into My Life" was was the end of one Beatles, and tomorrow never knows mm. when the next Beatles began. That's a great point, man. Yeah, because that's kind of your last happy mop top type song, and then to this, just the drug drenched, LSD fueled, just craziness. Yeah, well, totally. It was like uh, it was a watershed moment, but I think the Beatles were starting to become adults. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I think. And one thing I, I have to say, just to put in between Revolver and Pepper, I'd probably have to put Pet Sounds in there because I really think Pet Sounds helped the Beatles to visualize or, or, and really, here's where we're going to go now, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. If, 
if Revolver influenced Pet Sounds, I really think Pet Sounds, of course, influenced Pepper. So now let's explain a little bit about that, because I've always heard about it. And and, and for people that might not know, so Pet Sounds was was the album done by the Beach Boys that had Good Vibrations on it. God only knows those type of tunes. Good Vibrations wasn't on it. Okay. It was a single that came out after Pet Sounds, which only further fueled. It was mainly Paul. I think Paul was the Beach Boys fan. And and the and George Wilson Martin too loved the loved the way everything was hmm. put in, combining different types of instruments and just I think the production value of Pet Sounds really intrigued George Martin to push the envelope too. So what's, what's the big songs from Pet Sounds? Is it God Only Knows? Wouldn't uh, it be nice? Well, God only knows. Wouldn't it be, be nice? Gotcha. Sloop John B is another big one. Mm-hmm. I just wasn't made pet- for these times, you know. Just. It's just all these type of tunes, and I think only one is going to end up on the radio, and that would be wouldn't it be nice? But I thought Capital at the time didn't hear anything, you know. Right, they weren't into the it, whole. Cause it was it, similar to Sergeant Pepper. I mean, like if you look at Sergeant Pepper, Sergeant Pepper was not uh, a radio album for the Beatles. It was an it was an album album. It right. Was a, it was, and I think Pet Sounds has to really be kind of regarded as the first really artsy album. And I think that's what inspired Paul. I think Paul was like, oh, wow, you know, these guys went all out. It wasn't about the songs. It was about the production, the orchestration, you know, the way that they were utilizing instruments mm-hmm. and uh, us- utilizing stereo techniques. And Pet Sounds really went all out, you know, in terms of the, that kind of experimentation. It was the first real album, you know, and... uh yeah, and I think Paul just felt, you know, f- like uh, uh, fueled by that kind of rivalry to try to outdo them, and and then Good Vibrations came around, right around when the Beatles came out with Strawberry Fields, Penny Lane, which was kind of the first taste of what was to come with Pepper. Right, I was just going to mention that was the, the the single that came out that was recorded basically around the same time that was not on the record because that's how it used to be. Uh, they would do, we mentioned earlier, you know, two or three records a year and two or three double-sided singles a year. That was the schedule they were on. Like, just the songwriting for that is crazy to come up with that much and that much good material. Amazing. And I, I think the three biggest factors, to and we already talked about two of them, was one was the, the coming off the road, two was pet sounds, and then the third was, was the drugs, because that was the period when they when they started experimenting with LSD. And I think that just completely opened up their, their minds and their ears and mainly John and George. I think at that point, I think Paul was still just a pothead, but I think he eventually experimented with acid too. But I think those are the three, the three elements that kind of brought the Beatles to Sergeant Pepper. I think too, like there's even if you've been reading some of the uh, the stuff that's going on, like as far as the 50th anniversary and they have a little story about each song. And I'm not sure which song it was, but there was one where John showed up in the studio super high on LSD. And let's let's say it was like getting better, for example. And then they put him on the roof to try and get him some fresh air. And they're like, maybe we shouldn't stick a guy who's tripping on LSD on the roof. So Paul went up there, and then he said uh, that's the first time that he took LSD with John because he wanted to kind of see what was going on in his head at that point in time. And they tripped out together, uh, which expanded their whole horizons. Yep. It it was getting better. That's the song. It was getting better. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, 
both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Talk is Jericho. Let's talk about uh, Sergeant Pepper. Released May 26th, 1967 uh, was the official release date, although it was released, I think, at different times in the States and in uh, in the UK. Uh, just to put some perspective on things, John and Ringo are 27, Paul is 25, George is 24 years old. I mean, come on, right? Hmm, yeah. And but, uh, do you know... It took what five months to record, and at a budget, they spent what uh, twenty five thousand pounds on it. I read, and at the time, that was a lot of money to spend on a record, and especially five months. Yeah, that was yeah, like that was the five months. You know, it, the, in Beatle years, it's like dog years. That was like you know twenty years. <laughs> you know, never, yeah, there was a lot of rumors going around that they had broken up because you know they had been seen together, and they you know. Everyone was wondering why it was taking so long. They were thinking that it was some, that they were drying up and it was some sort of creative uh, drought or whatever, you know. And and I saw interviews with Paul where he was just sitting back and saying, "Oh, wait until they wait until they get a load of this, you know, like little they know what we're really doing in here." Just a, a quote here. I'm just scrolling through some some uh, you know Wikipedia stuff, and so this is what Paul said: Music papers started to slag us off because Sgt. Pepper took five months to record, and I remember the great glee seeing in one of the papers how the Beatles have dried up, and I was sitting there rubbing my hands, saying, yeah, "You just exactly. wait, yeah, you just wait," and just to know what they had kind of on the horizon there, and just one more thing, Mike, and you'll appreciate this. The uh, two albums that it said that they really were influenced by for this was Pet Sounds, and the other one was Freak Out by your boy uh, 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 Frank uh, Frank Zappa. Wow! Yeah, I didn't know that. Yeah, I, Pet Sounds I didn't know that either. Yeah, Freak Out came out in '66 uh, as well. Oh, yeah, '66. Yeah, so that's interesting. Yeah, well, it's funny because Zappa ended up parodying uh, Sgt. Pepper in '68 when he put out "We're Only in It for the Money," and the the album cover was famously a a parody of the Sgt. Pepper cover. Okay. And that was, that was kind of Zappa's psychedelic. It's, I mean, we can get into this, but it's funny. Everybody had a, a Pepper in the wake of Pepper. You know, the Stones did Satanic Majesty's Request. Yeah. Zappa did We're Only In It For The Money. So there was a whole, you know, <laughs> a whole slew of everybody trying to make their Pepper after the Beatles did it. But as always, the Beatles did everything first. Did first and best. Yeah, actually, it says yeah. here... I mean, it, you think about it, it was like the Beatles got to the moon before everybody else. You know what I mean? Exactly. Beatles got to the moon, built a concert hall, played a bunch of shows, and then left before everybody else got there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, you know, going back to what we were saying about Brian Epstein, if, if Brian Epstein didn't die, I strongly believe that the Beatles would have held it together because he would have held it together. You think so? And outside, oh, absolutely, yeah. because outside parties wouldn't have come, come in and poison the well, you know? He had that power over them, like a good coach has powers over the most rebellious of football teams or whatever it may be. He was the one guy that could calm them down, especially, let's be honest, especially John Lennon probably, right? Mm-hmm. 
So Well, Paul, they started to resent Paul because of certain things. I think Paul took over the Brian Epstein role or tried to. Mm-hmm. And the other guys are like, nah, nah, not having that. Yeah, no. you're not Brian. But also, just to mention, just to think, to think of all the stuff that the Beatles had accomplished by this point in time and, you know, George at the youngest at 24 years old. Like, remember, remember being 24 years old? Can you imagine recording like a Sgt. Pepper album when we were 24? Like, to be that mm. advanced? That's nuts to me as well. Yeah, it's just amazing for anybody to be that advanced. I mean, they, you know, I, nobody had made an album like this. Even Pet Sounds, which was as daring as it was, wasn't quite this radical. And, and you got to remember, Summer six, you know, this came out the summer of '67. Uh, I think, that, like you said, May 27th or whatever was in England. But for us here in America, to me, June 2nd was always that magical date because that's when we got to hear. Oh, it. Oh, so that like was, was the official June 2nd for the states. Then that okay. was the American release. There you go. Gotcha. Yeah, it wasn't like it wasn't like there was the internet where it could leak. You know, yeah, yeah, right, right. In England, right. But uh, it was the summer of love. It was summer '67, and what they did with this record, you know, I know. I know the songs are amazing, but to me, it was the production. They took what you could do in the studio to a, to a level that had never been heard of. I mean, they were only working with four tracks. You literally mm-hmm. only had four tracks to work with. And you listen to this, and it's like a sonic masterpiece with with everything from, you know, cellos to, to comb. Harpsichords and mellotrons uh, and hurdy-gurdies. It was just unbelievable, no matter what you're listening to, <laughs> yeah. there's things flying through the air and through this, you know, in the headphones, and, and, and there, was, there had never been a production this deep. Well, let's discuss that. We're all musicians, so we're kind of talking, let's just explain this to people who might not understand what you meant when you said they're recording on four tracks, and how that translates to the modern way of recording. I mean, basically, back Uh-oh. then, they, they would have to record uh, one song as a live band, and they would you know, consolidate that to three tracks. You'd put the drums on one track, you'd put maybe the acoustic guitar and the piano on another track, and then an electric guitar on a third track, just hypothetically. Mm-hmm. Then you would have to bounce those three tracks down to one. You'd consolidate them to one, which now opens up the other three tracks again. So basically everything was being bounced back and forth. And once you bounce those instruments together, they're bound together with, uh, you know, whatever panning or whatever you right. do with that one track. And when you were mixing records back then, you were mixing it live as if you were performing uh, a song. So no two mixes were ever the same. Wow. I think one of the things that makes this, this new 50th anniversary remix so, so good and so interesting, I, I, I honestly think in listening to this new remix, it's the quintessential mix. And the reason for that is they were able to go back to the original master tapes before the bounces mm. and free everything up. So wow. suddenly, if there were, you know, if there were twenty-four instruments on a song, you, they were able to mix it the way you can today, where you could do whatever you want with each of those individual individual tracks. When they mixed Pepper, they couldn't do that because everything had been consolidated and already pre-bounced. So this new mix suddenly opens everything up. You listen to Penny Lane. There's four different piano tracks going on. Wow. And the original had those four all bounced together and panned to the same place. Now, suddenly, it's opened up where all four of those piano tracks can be treated and panned separately. So that's one of the reasons that this new mix is absolutely mm. incredible. That's interesting stuff. And also, too, like, like you said, the fact that and, and, and nowadays you would record 
Well, with Pro Tools, it's ridiculous, but you could record with a 64-track mixing board. And think yeah. about that, it's, four tracks to 64 it's en- tracks. It's endless. Yeah, endless, exactly, <laughs> right. You know, it's funny, like, back in the day when we would do, I would have my little four-track machine, and I would do demos of, of like, our songs, and I would have to also bounce something <laughs> over, you know, in order to make other tracks available. Um, it was difficult because you had to make sure that what you were bouncing were at levels that one one thing didn't like outshine the other, you know. So right. I could only imagine how difficult it was. And like, if you listen to some songs on Revolver, the drums kind of take a little bit of a backseat sometimes because they're probably bounced with a tambourine, you know. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. But that's I think like I've tried that before too, making demos, and it always sounds so sludgy and shitty. You know, when the more you bounce, the more you lose. Uh, and the fact that they were able to get such a clear, you know, this is in 1966, right? Like we said, where a four-track mixer was probably also the size of like a washing machine, too. Like, <laughs> right? Just giant. But let's I talk- think the, the the key to doing that is you had to wear a lab coat. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's for people that don't know. When you worked at Abbey Road Studios, you had to wear a white lab coat when you were recording a record. <laughs> Just so English, right? But let's talk about some of the other things that, that were kind of pioneering on, on the Beatles record. One was the lyrics printed on the back cover, first time ever that you would ever see right. that. Um, talking also about how the whole album basically goes from track one to the last track with no breaks in between, um, no spaces in between the songs. It's basically one long, continuously recorded tune. It was, it was almost like the first concept album. It wasn't a concept album in the way that like Tommy was, where it was a a story, but it was a concept album in terms of feel, and like you said, the way all the tracks ran together, and you listened to the album from start to finish. It wasn't like you just went to yeah. and just listened to a group of songs. It, it was a, an experience from start to finish. And the idea of the concept, like you said, maybe not lyrically, it's not a, it's not a threaded story throughout, like uh, Scenes from a Memory would be, for example, but it's more of like the concept of this band uh, well, let's discuss how Sergeant Pepper came to be. We all know the story, but I don't need to tell it. You guys kind of explain what happened with Paul and, and that whole thing. Didn't he want to create a fictional band uh, that took away from the actual Beatles and made this Sergeant Pepper band, right? And uh, yeah, they would be doing, you know, but it would be great for them to go on tour and do this, but they didn't. They never did that. Uh, but um, I thought it was Paul's concept originally. Yeah, I think the idea was it was Paul's concept to kind of get away from the mania of the Beatles. If they if they had a fictional band that they could you know record and experiment accordingly without having to worry about you know the rules of what the Beatles had to deal with. And do you think that's why they changed their appearance? I mean, it is interesting that the timing. I mean, this was the first time they all came out with must. You know, came they they grew their hair longer than just the the you know the matching hairdos. They all grew their hair out. They all grew mustaches. George even had a little bit of a beard. Uh, I mean, it was prob- maybe partially because of the Sgt. Pepper concept and then also probably a sign of the times. Just It was kind of like, you and, know, the hippie movement also was kind of really uh, starting to come in with the summer of love. was John, because he went to do that movie in Spain, and his character had these round glasses that he loved and continued to wear them throughout the rest of his life, basically. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's totally right. That's totally right. That was his... That was his uh, Kind of the, the new style for him as well. And also speaking of the style of, of Sergeant Pepper as well, with, with uh, the costumes that they wore, which was cool, kind of fitting that old school 
um, you know, orchestra or, or orchestra band, whatever it may be. Yeah, it was well, great. And I think the colors you mentioned that it they was chose the first uh, first album with lyrics, and I think it might have also been the first uh, album with a gatefold. Maybe, maybe not. I think actually maybe Zappa's. Uh, uh, freak out possibly was a gatefold, but very few albums were gatefolds at that point also. And and the cover art itself was just so elaborate. You know, I don't think there had ever been any kind of album cover like that. Even to this day, it's just so iconic. And y- you just, you can't take your eyes off of it. It's just an amazing piece of artwork. And the whole package, it came with uh, the, the cutout mm-hmm. things. And, uh, you know, it's it just everything about it was, was an experience. It was more than just, you know, a bunch of songs. It was an experience. The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Talk is Jericho. There's no formula because he can come up with one on day completely finished. We still say we both wrote it though. Well, let's go through the track listing then of all, of all the tunes here and um, see what we've got going on. Because, once again, it's such a great uh, list of tunes and um, such an amazing, I don't even know how you say, so advanced with everything of what they were doing. So it starts off with, with the classic title track of Sgt. Pepper, Lonely's Heart, Lonely's Heart, Lonely Hearts Club Band. And um, let's talk about that. It starts out with, with the crowd noise and the people cheering and all the, all the excitement of, uh, of like this live performance from this band that we'd never really heard before. Well, they came out of the gates with a, a, a rocker. They came out of the gates with literally, you know, uh, three-part harmonies. You know, it, it's John, Paul, and George all singing this together in three-part harmony. And it's a rocker, you know. So they came out of the gates with something that kind of is setting up this album and, and this new experience in this new band. And then, uh, you know, it's one of the heavier tracks. It's, it's it's funny in listening to this album. It's funny I, I listened to it so much in the last couple of days. You, as we go through the songs, you're going to realize how how the orchestrations are so different. But there's very little electric guitar throughout this album. Like later on, we'll talk through the songs and you'll see there's some so many songs that don't even have guitar at all. But this one came out of the gates with with the heavy guitars, heavy backbeat, and you know the three part harmonies. Yeah. Do you think the heavy guitar in this song was kind of like a little Hendrix type of thing? Because weren't they all kind of, wow, I love Hendrix. And I, I, I always thought that maybe Hendrix had a big influence on this tune especially. Well, the irony is I think Hendrix played a version of Sar- the title track, Sgt. Pepper. I think the weekend after it came out, he was already playing a right. cover of it live. Yeah. Literally two days after the album was released. And Paul was at the show. He said it was one of the greatest moments of uh, of their of his career to see Hendrix come out and play Sgt. Pepper uh, in its entirety, like you said, two days later. Yeah. But there is a... I don't know if... I don't know if this, this record don't starts don't experience with was released a rocker. Yet, though. Or maybe it had been. I'm not sure. I know it came out in 67. I'm not sure what month, though. What's your question, Mike? 
No, my question was that I, I'm not sure if Are You Experienced had been released yet. I know it came out in 67, but I'm not sure the month. But I knew they. Mm-hmm. I think they were hip to Hendrix just from being on the, the London scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, they were into it. I think you said there's a real heavy part in this song. Uh, in that middle part, run, down, 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 down. Like the Beatles, I always proclaim this, were, were one of the first heavy metal bands in the world in that they weren't exclusively heavy metal, but they had some heavier parts than Black Sabbath. Absolutely. You know, that, that's, oh, that part right there improves that. This song especially just starts with this great groove, and it's just so heavy. And uh, it sounds like it's tuned down as well, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but... The way Paul sings it in kind of like that Little Richard type of tone, you know? Yeah. Uh, it's just awesome. And then it becomes a Beatles song when the three of them start singing the harmonies. It's just like, there it is, you know? Yeah. yeah. It's a great opener. Sets the tone. And also, too, is probably the only... this The songs one and two are the actual concept of this whole record, mm-hmm. probably. Right. You know? leading into with a little help from my friends once again bleeding uh, we introduced to you the one and only billy shears and sergeant pepper's only host club band so that would uh, assume that that ringo was billy shears was billy shears now the funny thing about this song to me is they wrote this song for ringo of course because they would always put a song on the record for ringo this to me is it, it, it's does this song get any better I mean, there's so many hooks in this one tune that it's, uh, I, I, that's what I don't understand about the Beatles. It's as if they were covering a song that's been around for years, and they're mm. just doing their version of it. But no, this is an original tune, you know, that yeah. they just worked on. <laughs> yeah, it, it sounds like, a, like you said, like it's a classic tune. And the fact, too, I always thought it was great that they gave Ringo the uh, the lead vocal part there. Do you have any insight on that? Ever heard any stories about that? As to why? I thought it was. I just think it was just the like they always gave them a the track. Band. Like they wanted everybody to sing, and they wanted everybody to be a part of it. You know. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just inter- it's interesting that they gave him uh, not only such a great song. I think surely the greatest one that Ringo sang in the Beatles, but they they also put it so upfront on the album. You know, the second track and. You know the one and only Billy Shears, and then he and Ringo comes up and sings. It was it was a very predom. It was probably the most predominant uh, Ringo track in in the whole Beatles catalog. Yeah, agreed. And the thing about this song too is what makes it for me not only as the song itself, but the way Paul plays on it, his bass yeah. is so melodic and it's just so amazing, and the tone uh, and it's just like. Like I said, the verse is great. You know what I mean? But then you get to that middle section where they sing, you know, do you need it? And it's like, Jesus, another part, you know? <laughs> yeah, and I, I just, the more I listen to the Beatles, which of course has been 40-odd years now for all of us, probably 45, whatever, McCartney's bass playing is just so oh, great. Yeah. I mean, there's, it's unbelievable how, how he thinks as a player. You know, and just his 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 riffs, his his groove, maybe like what? maybe even the best bass player of all time. His, uh, it's interesting. He, um, I saw this in an interview recently. He did almost all of his bass lines after the fact on this album. Like whenever they were cutting the basics, he was always almost always on a piano or an acoustic guitar, right. and so he had time to really 
sit with the tunes and develop the bass lines uh, before he actually laid them down. But I think his bass playing on this entire album, every song is just absolutely incredible. Yeah, it's it's like it's spot on, and he's just like orchestrating. And yeah, he would do his bass last. And uh, I remember reading something years ago about Paul wasn't always happy with the tone or the volume of the bass on certain Beatle records. And it wasn't until these records that the bass started to have a better tone and just was more upfront with, with within the song. Um, and it's funny, if he's not the greatest bass player of all time, then the greatest bass player of all time would probably say that Paul McCartney is yeah. his favorite bass player. Mm-hmm. Well, they all, they all do anyways, right? Whether it's Gene Simmons or Geezer Butler or any of these guys, they're always talking about how Paul is, is the best, and, and rightfully so. Um, then we move on to the classic of the, uh, once again, the psychedelic sound. And, of course, it's John's first vocal appearance on the record of Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. Some of the most um, uh, uh, picture-painting lyrics maybe ever. Well, it's funny because it came from a, a, a picture. and a, you know, That's where the title came from. Uh, as, as, as you guys know, I'm sure everybody knows, it was a, a, a painting that Julian had made, and uh, it was just uh, you know one of, a child's photo. Of course, everybody says Lucy in Sky Diamonds is LSD, and and it's it's pretty coincidental, but and, and perfectly <laughs> yeah. fitting, being that the song is such a trip. But they insist that it came from a, a picture that Julian had painted. Yeah, and he asked her what it, asked him asked him what it was, and he said it was Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, Dad. So there's your picture, but yeah, maybe like, Julian was tripping at you know at, <laughs> at seven years old. <laughs> he had drank the wrong tea. <laughs> but that's the thing, though. Wasn't like, he? Uh, wasn't he inspired by Lewis Carroll? Though the whole lyrics for this was like uh, Alice in Wonderland. Yeah, I think so. The Alice in Wonderland kind of the uh, opium dream type of a deal. Yeah. But yeah. This really does fit in with you know it's it's kind of a sister song to Strawberry Fields Forever. Um, the same type of vibe, same psychedelia, same, like I said, great imagery in the lyrics. And Walls. To me, this, I think this these three, those where, three songs, to me, are the trio of Lennon, you know. What's the third one? I Am The Walrus. Oh, yeah, yeah, nice, yeah. Totally. Absolutely. But, um, uh, and like this a, feels to me like where the, out, where, where the psychedelics begin. It's like almost like Sgt. Pepper with Little Help From My Friends. It's a little more traditional Beatles. It's uh, you know, they're upbeats and it's like the one-two punch that starts the album. But then, then this comes in. It's like okay, here we go. Strapping your seatbelts. This is a whole new trip. And and it's so. It, it, you you mentioned Charlie earlier about it. The Sergeant Pepper sound like it was tuned down. A lot of the stuff on this album was altered. The speeds were altered, so uh, things were sped up and slowed down. And you could hear John's voice on this. Sounds sped up. He almost sounds like Lucille Ball. I always thought he sounded like. <laughs> And coincidentally, with the song title being Lucy, but you could hear that with this. And Strawberry Fields, you could hear that John's voice was slowed down, and and they were really messing with 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 tape alterations and sonic, you know, experimentation like like nobody had ever heard before. But this was like a full on acid trip, you know, in a three minute song. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you know what else makes this song even that much more like dreamy is George's. Uh, the, the instrument that George used, uh, the Indian instrument, uh, that he put in this song. Right. Which he's used it before. Was it a sitar? Other Beatles songs. But this one, it totally makes sense. You know what, the sitar? Yeah. Okay, gotcha. It's, it's, it's so we're going to get to it later, but he also has that in getting better. I mean, obviously, Within You, Without You is predominant, but 
uh, it's mixed into Lucy, especially on the final verse, and it's mixed into getting better. It's like droning the whole time as well. One interesting thing about the melody, and Neil Morse just pointed me pointed this out to me that it's funny that when they, once they get to Sergeant Pepper, some of these melodies are so simple, like. The verse to Lucy is just practically one note. Picture yourself on a, yeah. you know, it's almost one note. And same with Sergeant Pepper. Yeah. Sergeant Pepper's lonely. Sergeant yeah. Pepper's the man to play. It's literally one note melodies. Yeah, well, even the chorus. Sergeant Pepper's lonely, Sergeant Pepper's lonely. Yeah, very, very simple, but super catchy as well, you know? Yeah, totally. And, and then you mentioned getting better and going into getting better with the classic uh, McCartney-Lennon <laughs> perceived attitudes. You got to admit it's getting better. And, of course, John comes in with... You can't get much worse. The <laughs> ultimate optimist optimist versus the pessimist with the glasses half full of glasses half empty. <laughs> I wonder if it was really like that within the band. Do you think John was always the sardonic one, or is he just painted that way? Oh, definitely. Yeah, just working that way. Uh, getting better, but a great kind of a little rocker tune, but it gets a little bit violent at times. It's a little bit dark at the end there. <laughs> well, I used to be cruel to my woman. I'd beat her. And, <laughs> like, <laughs> I'd kept her away from the things that she today. loved. Like Chris Brown or something. Yeah, like what an asshole this guy is in this song. <laughs> Jeez, but uh, yeah, good. But like I said, like all of these songs, when you're talking about, like it starts kind of very whimsical, and then it gets to getting better, fixing a hole. When I'm 64, you know, she's leaving home. They're more of like the typical old school well, rock and roll titles. You realize what you just said, Chris? Those are all Paul songs. If you think ah. it's, it's funny when you look on paper. How much of a Paul album this is? It's it, John really only has three and a half songs in this album. He has Lucy, he's got Mister Kite, and he's got Good Morning, Good Morning, and then half of a Day in the Life, and that's it. And getting all better. the rest is, he wrote is Paul. Getting better, mm-hmm. yeah, getting better. But that's getting better is like a kind of a you know they work together, and same with Lovely Rita, you know. But but for the most part. You know, everything you just named, we're about to go through like a three song in a row of Paul's. You're about to go through getting better, fixing a hole, she's leaving home. Right. And those were, you know, it's a lot, a lot of Paul on this album. Which once again shows so, that and Brian Epstein was still alive when they recorded this, right? Yeah. 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 Are we going, wait, do we, we passed getting better now? We're on to fixing a hole? Uh, well, we're, we'll go wherever you want. We're well, kind we of sitting in between the two getting better. Situation, uh, incident that happened when John was out of his mind and went up to the roof. Right. And George Martin didn't know anything because he didn't know the guys were taking any sort of drugs. He may have, he says in that making of it, like maybe they were smoking a little bit of reefer, but that's all. Mm-hmm. And I guess he didn't know about the mind altering things that were going on either. But I guess this was the song that uh, he started to feel ill uh, from the effects of LSD. And then went up on the roof. And then I think the other guys are like, oh, don't leave them up there. <laughs> <laughs> don't send them on the roof, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's the last place you want. guy <laughs> could fly, you know. Um, <laughs> but then, Mike, you mentioned, like you said, getting better, going into fixing a hole. Very strange kind of whimsy, jumbly, wumbly-doo type lyrics with this, fixing a hole. What's, the, what's it a metaphor for? Do we know? Drugs. I don't know. They always thought it was drugs. They thought it was heroin influenced. Oh, yeah. 
Because the BBC, no, well, yeah, I don't think so. heroin. I don't think any of those guys are dabbling in heroin. But yet. but the BBC was on all of these tracks with a little help of friends. You know, I get high with a little help of friends. LSD, Lucy Sky Times, Fixing Hole was somehow about heroin addiction. Maybe because you're poking yourself with a needle or something along those lines. I'm not sure. But they were just looking for everything they could find uh, within these songs to ban them from from the air. Right. Yeah, to me, fixing a hole is. You know, when I think of that song, I think of a harpsichord. You know, that's just, that's, it's, I always picture Lurch from the Adams Family starting this song. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and then there's the, uh, um, I love the guitar solo. I'm not sure if this guitar solo is Paul or George, but it's got that kind of, it's got a really cool kind of fuzzy effect. I don't, do you, you guys know if that's George or Paul? I, I don't know, but knowing kind of what we knew, it was probably Paul. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, we were laughing yesterday about the Let It Be thing. I'll play what you want me to play or won't play at all. I think at this point, Paul is just like, <laughs> just give me the freaking guitar. I'll do it. You know? Um, there's a funny thing about this song that I read, too, that uh, when Paul, when they were recording this song, they were doing sessions for it. Uh, some guy showed up at Paul's house uh, just out of the clear blue sky. Somebody shows up and... Paul goes out to see who he is, and he's like, I'm Jesus Christ. And Paul's like, oh, great, come come to the session. <laughs> so he brings the guy to the session, and the other guys see him, and it's such a, a, a scene from one of their movies, like, oh, who's that? You know, oh, it's Jesus Christ. Oh, hey, you know. <laughs> um, How you doing, Jesus? He, he, he just sat in the corner of the studio, and he and, it was and drank tea. And that was Jesus just the way John got her in. <laughs> You know, I saw I saw McCartney in about 2005 uh, and tell tell the Reader's, Reader's Digest story. He didn't see that the uh, stage had opened up or the piano was supposed to come up out of it. And he was walking backwards and he fell into the pit on top of the piano. It was probably about, I don't know, three or four foot drop. And the whole crowd just went quiet. And it's like old school Beatles. Like there's like two roadies on stage that both of them in their 60s run on there with like a flashlight <laughs> kind of flashing down into the pit. And like Paul kind of stands up and, he, you know, he raises his hand in the air and gets the big cheer. And then they pull him out of this this pit and he walks to the front. And he's like, oh, my goodness. Well, I'm OK. And we're doing a little bit of a set change. This next song is called Fixing a Hole. <laughs> And he played Fixing a Hole. <laughs> so there you go. And I later found out the reason why he fell into the pit is he was too busy looking at a couple chicks in the front row. <laughs> so there you go. <laughs> Speaking of chicks, She's Leaving Home, which when I was a kid, I hated this song. I uh, just was um, too slow. I'm going to agree. agree with you, but I didn't hate it. I would just skip over it. Okay. Listening to well, it now, was, it's a great... This was the, the logical... It's the next step beyond yesterday and Eleanor Rigby. This is kind of like the third part in that McCartney string quartet trilogy. And whereas yesterday and Eleanor Rigby were only Paul and strings, this is Paul and strings and then John on the chorus doing the answers. So this was kind of like the, the third in a trilogy, except the only case where there was another Beatle involved. But it is only Paul and John. That's uh, there's no George or Ringo anywhere on this track. It's, but it's great vocal interplay between John and, and Paul. I was listening to it to kind of prime up for this. I kind of have a new appreciation for just how beautiful the song is. Oh, absolutely! I oh, love it's, this song. It's so beautiful. When I was younger, I was just too immature to understand. Well, yeah, <laughs> you know me I mean? too. I just wanted I wanted to hear Beatles songs. I didn't yeah. want to hear this. this but yeah, it's now it's one of my favorites on this record because it's just it's so beautiful. And the story in itself, 
Yes, absolutely. Like you said, that's a great storytelling too. And it's actually quite sad as well, you know, especially now all of us having daughters as parents. You're like, oh my gosh. It's the confusion yeah. of being a parent. Right. Which we're now on the other side of it. We can dig that. You exactly. Know? Your kid's going away and it's just like, whoa, you know. So especially the end of the song, those last, that last line, you know, she's leaving home. Bye bye. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But still, once then, again, you got a 25 year old Paul McCartney writing this. You know, I don't think he had any kids then. It's like, I don't know how he had that insight or that, that, that life experience to do it, but he did. So how did they do that? That's the thing. Did Hamburg really educate them so much and make them older than what they are, you know? You know, I, mean, I remember seeing Michael Jackson sing, um, what's that real drenching blues song? Or She's Out of My Life, I think it's called. She's Out of My Life. And he sang it like at six or seven years old. That's not the one. There's another one that's like that. And singing it at like, uh, um, at like eight years old and just singing it like he had just been dumped by the love of his life. It's like, how can an eight-year-old kid do that? And maybe yeah. that's some of the genius involved, the people that we're talking about that have these kind of almost musical superpowers. Mm. So let's go to uh, Benefit of Mr. Kite, another kind of a whimsical John Lennon uh, tune uh, that he, f- he found an old circus poster and based the lyrics off of that. What a Always song. One of my I mean, this is, yeah, definitely. This is one of the, one of the, one of the greats on this album. And I mean, once again, the production I mean, if you want to get technical about the production, the way that they made a tape loop and put together all these sounds and, and cut up the tapes and had them running forwards and backwards, and they had to get a, a different machine to run it through the whole middle section. But an interesting about, thing about this song, and I mentioned it earlier, there's no guitar on this song. It's all hmm. drums, bass, and then like uh, whatever that keyboard is. It's like a. Is it a harpsichord uh, or something? No, it's like a far, far for low. Uh, I'm not sure, and they're playing uh, like uh, these bass harmonicas and stuff. But there's no guitar anywhere in this talk. Interesting. Song. Interesting. Uh, they well, wanted uh, they wanted steam organs, middle, um, but they uh, they were hard to get. that kind of banjo pick thing at the end of the the middle section. But other than that, it's all just led by keyboards and bass. What did you say, Charlie? They wanted a steam organ. They wanted steam organs to to, you know, make the sound of, like, a, uh, you know, the, the old-school type of circus or whatever. Uh, but I don't, I don't think George Martin could find it, so they got the harmonicas to do that. Uh, yeah, okay. Which, which was, again, genius, you know? Yeah, totally, totally. Um, and another bit of genius and another song that I did not like when I was a kid is Within You, Without You, um, which, incidentally, came alive for me when the love soundtrack came out and they had, they uh, mashed it up with tomorrow never knows oh perfect so good right yeah that's when that song really came alive for me and now i understand it but up until even 10 years ago i was like yeah it's just kind of george's indian crap that we have to deal with <laughs> <laughs> and it opens side too cuz we we listen to this album from start to finish in the cd age so we listened from Sgt. pepper all the way to a day in the life but back then and for all of our childhoods you know, you had to, you had basically, you know, side one and side two. You know, you couldn't couldn't listen to the whole thing in one shot. And it's interesting that they started side two with such a uh, trippy song. You know, something that's a little bit more of an acquired taste. And um, you know, you know, obviously he dabbled in the Indian stuff on Revolver with um, was it uh, uh, Love You Too? Yes. 
but this was this was the full blown this was the full twenty. You know, he he went all out on this, and his song, I believe, this Sgt. Pepper might be the only Beatles album. You know, of the last five or six albums where he only has one song. All the other albums, he had two to three songs, and in this case, this was his sole contribution to the album. And I think they recorded only a Northern song as well during these sessions, but held on to it till later. I wonder if if if, they, if he had to use up all of his bargaining chips to get this on the album in the first place. Mm, maybe. Well, isn't this pretty much, doesn't this close the chapter of this type of music with George for Beatles albums? I mean, mm. isn't this the last one like this? Doesn't he do the Inner Light, which was, was that a B-side? Was that a little bit, maybe a year later or so? Oh, wait, the Inner Light, which... That's like was on that a, a white album. No, it's like Hey Jude. Of, no, that was the B side of Lady Madonna, I believe. Yeah, it's on the right, Hey Jude. So wasn't, wasn't so wasn't that a white album kind of recording? I guess uh, around that time frame, but but right. I'm thinking Madonna, it's earlier. I'm thinking album. it might be '66 actually, but I could be wrong. Mm. But you're right though, Charlie. Wait. I mean, this was getting towards the end of his phase, if you want to call it that. And this was the song too that I remember we would always not really be into just maybe skip over but i always thought man what if george put out like what if taxman or a song like that was on pedal you know yeah oh yeah 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 right instead of this yeah yeah well i mean like you well, said look at look at what was to come you know he had a uh, while my guitar gently leaves on the white album he had something and and uh, uh here comes, here the, comes sun. the sun on abbey road arguably two of the biggest songs off that album so I think this was the album where he just was going full Monty Indian. I saw Harrison in 74, and Ravi Shankar was the opening band. So I had to sit through about a half hour of, of this music <laughs> before George came out. And, you know, I, I was like seven years old at the time. It was like the most torturous thing I've ever been through. But uh, I just know, I guess if you were doing drugs in 67, this you know, maybe you had a different appreciation for this. I also just love like the 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 uh, pathos and the audacity of George to go. Okay, Ravi's coming on the road with me, and you're going to sit there and listen to it. You know, it's like it's like Van Halen when they took Cool and the Gang on tour with them. It's like, <laughs> although Cool and the Gang is probably a little bit easier to digest. And maybe maybe this is stating the obvious, but this track is only George, Paul, John, and Ringo don't appear in this track. So it's this is literally George's yesterday. It's Good call. Him and Indian instruments. Now, I'd go to, to uh, probably for when I'm 64, I would probably hazard a guess to say that that might be only Paul. Or is there some uh, vocal on there? Isn't there drums on it, though? Like oh, that's true. Yeah, maybe some vocal on it as well. This is the oldest song on the album. This was actually recorded in 66 between Strawberry Fields and Penny Lane. So they did Strawberry yep. Fields, I'm 64, and Penny Lane. Uh, in November '66, and held on to this song and put it on Pepper. So this was the only song on Pepper that actually uh, goes back to '66. But doesn't it? Uh, what, what did John call this? Like Paul's granny music? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, he had. A, there's even an outtake of him. Uh, one of the outtakes of this has, has him doing his whole ha cha cha uh, song dance, the whole schmaltzy Paul stuff at the end of the song. <laughs> Uh, he always dabbled in, like, think of Honey Pie from White, the yes. White Album. Or, uh, Martha, my uh, dear, which I know Charlie loves. Yeah, I love Martha, my dear. Isn't this kind of a nod to his dad? Yeah, his, his dad was an old ragtime guy, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it's funny, too, because when I'm 64, he wrote it when he's 24, and now he's 75 or whatever it is. It's mm -hmm. like, wow, 
You know what I mean? <laughs> when I'm 64, back in the old days is what he's thinking now. Yeah. Then we get to a little bit of, a, of another kind of a... Uh, I, for some reason, I always put Lovely Rita and Good Morning, Good Morning together. I don't know why, because Lovely Rita, she's a meter maid, and she would get up early to go, you know, uh, give out her tickets or whatever. I always kind of felt a little bit of a kindredship between these next two songs. Well, I think I think mm-hmm. from this point on, this is uh, uh, like a one, two, three, four punch that, that closes the album. You know, once you get to Lovely Rita, they connect and go all the way to the end. It's almost like side two of Abbey Road. When I did uh, these songs with Yellow Matter Custard, we started here with Lovely Rita and then just ran it all the way to the end because they, they do kind of all connect at this point. Right. And, and I, I love this song because I think this is a great, uh, a great example of John and Paul working together. And there's so few songs in the later day catalog that you could really feel them working together. But this is one of them. You got John singing the choruses, the, the, love, the, the Lovely Rita parts with his high yeah, yeah. kind of psychedelic voice, and then Lovely. Paul's doing the verses. Yeah, Paul's coming in with, with all the more rocking verses. And uh, this is another song where it's, it's all acoustic guitars. There's no electric guitar any, at all in this song, which is crazy, because some of these sounds are so heavy. Mm-hmm. They're creating such a full, heavy sound without electric guitar at all. But another the, the super heavy bass track on it. You can hear that just all over the place. It's very heavy. And, and I love the mouth percussion in the second verse where you can hear the shakers, which are cl- clearly somebody who I assume is probably Paul just going. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, the one thing that we're, we haven't spoke about uh, on a lot of these songs is Ringo's yes. drum playing now, yeah. which oh. he's doing these fills that are just these kind of slow, but real tasty. Yeah, a lot of that type of stuff, um, and the sound. I think his playing, on this, his playing on this record, especially, just is it's so groovy, you know. Yeah, I would say the the two sixty seven albums, this and Magical Mystery Tour. Magical Mystery Tour isn't a real quote unquote real album; it's more of a collection. But I think it, these two albums are Ringo's best drumming. I mean, if you listen to the fills and the Day in the Life or the fills in, in uh, Strawberry Fields or Penny Lane or I'm the Walrus, and the sounds, too. Like, uh, we're going to get to it, but the drum sound at the beginning of the Sgt. Pepper reprise mm-hmm. or, uh, you know, the backbeat in the chorus of Lucy in the Sky of Diamonds. I, they, the drums were just recorded so well in, in this session. They're just really heavy. I mean, the heavy he, backbeat and, and, up and front, such a swing up to Ringo's playing. He plays the perfect part and the perfect fills in every song. Yeah, which I love absolutely. about it. And that's like people who bag on Ringo Starr. It's like you guys don't understand what the concept of being in a band is. I was going to bring this up even with, uh, with a little help from my friends. But then boom, boom, da dum ba bum What would I do? Like just this little weird little, there's nothing to it, but it's everything. And you're gonna, we're going to talk about it in Day in the Life as well, which could be his best uh, performance yeah. maybe ever for me in, in a song. Well, I, I don't know if you want to move on from this song yet, but the next song, Good Morning, Good Morning, the drumming on that is incredible. It sounds like a marching band. Oh, yeah, it is, yeah, yeah. It's actually uh, Paul and Ringo playing double drums on oh, that really? particular song. Yeah, they're both playing on that song. But it sounds like a marching band, the same way like you know, Strawberry Fields had that effect. And another very heavy song. But before we leave Lovely Rita, I love it, too. It's kind of the, uh, the sequel to uh, not working out very well for him and the girl. The sequel to Norwegian Wood, where he crawls off to sleep in the bath, and this one he ends up on the sofa with a sister or two. 
yeah, yeah. He doesn't get uh, he doesn't get any action. So there you go. Uh, but yeah, good morning, good morning. Another heavy song with some great sounding kind of Hendrix style psychedelic guitar. That's Paul. Well, the, you think the it's Paul solo is amazing, and the, this guitar solo is definitely Paul. The, um, it's his erratic. Uh, it it sounds very yeah, yeah, tax like Taxman, right? Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, but definitely heavy. And the and weird the thing about this song the, the horns is the, the timing. Are... The timing on it, Charlie? It switches from 4-4, four, four, and then it goes to 3. To 5, it's, it's got a 5 odd, in there. It's, it's very wow. odd for its time. Interesting. Yeah, the, the verses are definitely uh, pretty progressive for its time. And once again, another thing, Beatles have that progressive element, and probably without even trying. You know, I still to this day, whenever I'm, we're you know sitting around and listening to tunes, I'll always put on uh, everybody's got something to hide but me and my monkey and try and see when people can guess when they're going to come in uh, right. as a band because it's off time. As you know, Mike, you told me that yourself you had some issues with that, with Yellow Matter Custard. Yeah, definitely. You know, yeah, I, mean, I, I mean, I get asked just because of the, the genre that I, I've made my career and I get asked about what is the first prog album all the time. I constantly get asked that. And this is my answer. It's always Sgt. Pepper. Wow. I mean, traditionally, the first prog album is usually King Crimson's in the Court of the Crimson King, which was 69. But the reality is Sgt. Pepper was the first prog album. And yeah, it was yeah. the first time that it was there was a concept album. It's the first time that there was these deep, you know, deep, deep uh, orchestrations and productions. So, and But anyway, the verses to this are really interesting because of the odd time. And uh, I love the horns too. I got to mention that the 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 horns make the song so heavy. And oh, then yeah, another one like of, metal horns. <laughs> one of my favorite things too the original is original metal horns. <laughs> was the uh, animal sound effects at the end, where you hear the uh, the uh, uh, rooster crowing, and it goes right into the a guitar squeal right. at the beginning of Sgt. Pepper. Like, only the Beatles could do a harmony between a guitar and a chicken. Right. It sounds like you know, a the chicken order squawking. of the animals also, they're, they're placed in an order where one, everyone is getting swallowed and eaten by the next one. If you listen, they go in an order where they're getting bigger and bigger and bigger. It goes from, you know, a cat to a dog and then a dog to a horse and then really? to a, a lion. And a lion, yeah. It all builds and builds. <laughs> That's great. That's great. Um, and then leading to the Sgt. Pepper reprise, which is a rockier, uh, shorter version of the title track. And apparently, that uh, I think it was maybe Derek Taylor who, who uh, suggested that maybe you should tie it up by having Sgt. Pepper appear once again uh, towards the end of the record. This was the last song recorded in, uh, for, for the album. And I have to point out, it was mixed. The stereo mix of this song was what was happening the day I was born. Wow, and, and and this was the very last thing that the, the, the finishing touch for Sergeant Pepper was the stereo mix of this song on April twentieth, sixty seven, which was the day I was born. So realistically, me and Sergeant Pepper were were both born the same day, even though Sergeant Pepper wasn't released till six weeks later. This was the the the, the very last finishing touch of the making the album. The creation was completed. Yeah. <laughs> wow. There you go. Kindred spirits. <laughs> yep, totally. And then, of course, the classic that could be, if you ask me what's my favorite Beatles song, on a certain day, I would say A Day in the Life. To me, the perfect example of what the Beatles are, a collaboration between John and Paul, super melodic, super dark, super proggy, uh, great rhythms, great harmonies, all across the board. I mean, this is one of the greatest songs ever written, bar none. And uh, interesting, uh, it was... 
pretty much one of the first songs done for Pepper uh, in when they started the sessions in 67. You would have thought that this would have been like one of the last things in the icing on the cake, the way it is in the sequence, but it's actually one of the first things they recorded uh, after the Sgt. Pepper, uh, after the um, Strawberry Fields and Penny Lane sessions. And, you know, a, a great storytelling with the lyrics. And, I mean, I, I read the news today, oh boy, and the song is called Day in the Life. And then it goes to I woke up, I got out of bed. It really is like just somebody's lazy, not nothing really happening day. I mean, it's so well written and so well presented. My, my favorite part of the song. What's your favorite part of the song? This was like the predecessor to the side two of Abbey Road, because this was the first time they basically took two small ideas and then put them together. And then, obviously, they did that to a larger scale with side two of Abbey Road. But this was the first time, I think, that they have ever done that. But my favorite part of the song is probably one of the most overlooked parts of the song. It's that bridge that comes after uh, Paul's middle. You know, you, you yep. start with John's song, then it goes to Paul's song, and then there's that bridge, that really spacey uh, 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 section yeah. that leads back to John. But that whole yeah. that bridge, oh, my God, the I dream. get bumps. Yes. Oh, it's amazing. The melody, the progression, the way the horns come back in and then sweep back to John's song, it's it's just... With that like, really great heavy... Bow, 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 bow. Uh, and there's a shuffle. It's back into the song. And then there's that weird alarm clock bit that the guy, Maul Evans, counts. Yes. Right. 24 bars to get from the top bars, exactly. to get from the top of the scale to the bottom for the, for the orchestra. It's well, the orchestra so trippy, but to go back to what Mike said, that little part, that you know, that little song within a song that Paul puts in, and the thing that ties these two songs together is the last line is when he says, uh, somebody spoke and I went into a dream. Yes, and then it goes into a dream. Yeah, great point. And then point. John brings in that next section. Ah, it's a dream. It's just yeah. trippy. Amazing. Yeah. Be- best, dr- this- best Ringo fills, too, just as I have to put that in there. His fills yeah. in this are tremendous. When we did uh, Yellow Matter Custard, I had to keep the shaker going with one hand and then do the fills with the other. <laughs> but the shaker, the shaker is just as important as the fills. Sure it is. Sure but, it is. Uh, the, one note about the, the orchestra session, uh, you could see all the footage of that. There's a video for A Day in the Life. Originally, they were going to do videos for every song. Wow. A Day in the Life was the first song that they did. And, and they actually mixed A Day in the Life early in the session. They, they recorded this song and then mixed it and then continued on with the other songs. So this was com- almost completely finished very early in the process of Pepper. But anyway, the, they ended up uh, doing a video for A Day in the Life, and then they abandoned the idea altogether of doing any further videos. But if you watch that video, you could see all the people that they had come hang out. Beyond just the string players, uh, Keith Richards and Mick Jagger and Brian Jones were there, and Mike Nesmith from The Monkees was there, and Donovan was there, and they're all hanging out. And apparently that was kind of, um, they enjoyed that so much that gave them the idea to do the All You Need Is Love broadcast later in the year. Oh, okay. Now, yeah. once again, another yeah. song that kind of fits into this time frame as well, you know? Um, well, I think everything they did in 67, if you include the Magical Mystery Tour album, I, mean, I think it's part of the, a, a bigger package. I think Magical I think Mystery so, yeah. is yeah. another it's unbelievable like album bookends. in this vein. <laughs> and then, of course, there's the classic uh, piano chord at the end to signify the end of the song, the end of the record, where all four Beatles, or I'm not sure if it was exactly the four of them, but they all hit that piano chord at the same time and just let it resonate. And the, 
And did you know that there's a vocal on that too? All of them going hum. Really? Yeah. There's a, there's outtakes in the new box set that has them recording everybody singing an E chord. And then there's also great outtakes of them trying to get the final piano chord. It sounds like there's four or five of them all hitting that final chord. Uh, and yeah. there's some great outtakes in the new box set of that. Wow. Wow. Like so much stuff, you know. And then, uh, and like I said, too, I remember when I was a kid, they had a little thing at the very end, which was like kind of like weird laughing and uh, a little chanting that when the, the record, groove. yeah, when the record got to the end groove and, and, if, and if your turntable didn't automatically take the the, rec- the needle off, it would just go back and forth over and over again. Yeah. Well, there's something, do you know there's something before that? Yeah, there's the a dog silent whistle. dog whistle. Tell us. You go from the, the frequency the that, that only dogs forever. can hear. <laughs> yeah. yeah, the chord that lasts forever goes for however many, you know, 45 seconds. Then there's a silent dog whistle, and then it goes to the inner groove. <laughs> Once again, only the Beatles putting this stuff in there. Just because they were so advanced, they just had to do more than just a typical band would ever do. And apparently when they created that inner groove thing, they didn't even know what it was going to sound like. Apparently they just recorded a whole bunch of chatter and then cut it up. I guess they cut up the tape and put it on the end reel and had no idea how it was even going to work until they got the, the acetates back and heard heard it on the inner groove that was the first time they were able to even hear what the loop was going to end up sounding like again it's like never could see any other never could see any it's other like, it sounds like Paul it's like yeah it's just weird it's, yeah, it's, it's just... creepy it scares the shit out of me hey because I, I remember hearing a radio broadcast when I was a kid about the whole Paul is dead theory and the, you know all the different clues and they went on about how there's a lot of clues in the, in the inner groove. You can find all these clues. And they played it. And yeah. that scared the crap out of me when I was a kid. Well, I used to listen to a record before I went to bed. I'd put the album on, then go to sleep. And I did not know that that was on there. And I remember waking up to that and thinking <laughs> that there was like some Satanist in my house or something that you're laughing as they're going to kill me. And never, uh, like, like, still hearing that. like the beginning of Hell Awaits by Slayer. Senyat, senyat. <laughs> yeah. So, so, so after all of this and, and kind of going through, what would you call your favorite song on Sergeant Pepper and your least favorite song? You want to go, Charlie? Least favorite Daniel? song would be within with uh, least favorite. Okay, favorite today. That's kind of impossible. <laughs> I'm going to say today, day in the life, least favorite when I'm 64. Hmm. Yeah, I think I might be with you. I think that I mean I love Lucy, I love Mr. Kite, but how could you not pick a day in life? It's one of the greatest songs ever written. And I think I'm with you on uh sixty four as being my least favorite as well. Pool's granny music. So uh as as we get near the end here, um what's your final thought on Sgt. Pepper and, and where it stands in your uh, opinion for for you as a Beatle fan? How do you feel about its overall influence and, and, and how much do you like it in comparison to other records? Man, that's a that's a tough thing. I mean, I think basically it establishes the Beatles as, like I said, they got to the moon before anybody else did. And I think this record pretty much establishes that, that this would be the blueprint that everyone would kind of look to, you know, whether it be the Stones, whether it be the Who, whether it be anybody at that time. And to this day, here we are talking about this record 50 years later, and it's probably better than any record that's in the top 100 right now. 
Yeah. Oh, yeah. Probably no. It's even just as far as the advancement. Once again, 1967 in comparison. If this album came out today, you would flip out. And you know, I, I've heard uh, Cheap Trick has performed this in its entirety live. You can do it live, especially nowadays with the way that things are. And it sounds great, at least when Cheap Trick is very much Beatlesque, and we all love Cheap Trick anyways. I have no doubt in my mind that if the Beatles were still around today, they could play this whole thing live in its entirety and make it sound amazing. Well, if the Beatles wanted to take this, if they didn't break up and they went on tour, you could definitely hear songs like Lovely Rita being played. You know, Good Morning, Good Morning could probably be played with guitar. And maybe a version of A Day in the Life that's just more instrument, you know, with real instrument. Most of these songs, you could do Pepper, you could do With a Little Help from My Friends, you could do them if you, if you, if you had some, uh, uh, like you said, maybe some rearranging for sure. Yeah. Mike, what do you think? Well, for me, this is not only my favorite Beatles album, but this is probably my favorite album, period, in the history of music. I mean, this is probably my number one album of all time. In fact, they, they, I just put out a a thing today on my social media was like 10 albums that changed your life. I think you've done that, Charlie, as well. But at the yeah. top of mine is Pepper. I mean, it, that's it. It, it. To me, it was the first of its kind and the best of its kind. I mean, it, it broke every rule and wrote every rule at the same time. And it's, it, it, I see a lot of people say, well, I, I'm not that crazy about Pepper. It's not my favorite. I like Abbey Road. I like the White Album. Yes, I mean, I love every Beatles album, but Gun held to head. This is to me the album. It's the, the the their masterpiece, and it may not have their best songs. It may not have their most famous songs. I mean, I think if I'm just listening, looking for songs, I might be more inclined to put on like Rubber Soul or Revolver. But in terms of just their masterpiece, you know, with going into a studio and creating a piece of art, this is it. Yeah, I got to give you that too. Like, I, I'm I'm more of an Abbey Road guy, maybe even White Album. But if you're going by the, the masterpiece of the Beatles catalog, this would have to be it. You know, the, the, especially now being older, and like we both said, being on the other side of the coin as a parent, as a musician now, as a as a older guy, whatever it is that we are, I appreciate the the brilliance of every one of these songs. I and mean, even even yeah. '64, like you said, I mean one of '64. I mean, it's one of the catchiest songs you'll probably ever hear. Well, even if, even if you're not digging the song. There's something to dig into with the with the production. To me, like you know, when I was a kid, I was listening to this just for the songs because I, you know, I didn't know about production, right? And I hadn't taken drugs yet. (laughs) (laughs) But when I was 20, and they put this came out on CD, I think it was released on CD 87 on the 20th anniversary. It was like it was 20 years ago today. Boom! Here's this. Here it is on CD. And at that point was when I was listening to it with headphones and I was do- smoking a joint or doing a bong hit. You know, I used to love getting high and listening to this album with headphones. It's, you know, like Dark Side of the Moon, this is probably, you know, the ultimate headphone album. Yeah. And so the point being that I'm trying to get to is even a song like When I'm 64, it's not the greatest song, but yet if you smoke a joint, put some headphones on and listen to it, I mean, even that song is awesome. Yes. You know, it's like an amazing you know, trip in terms of the production and you listen to the sounds and the way everything is panned and flying back and forth. So every song, whether it's a good song, a bad song, it doesn't matter. Each one of them was treated like an individual piece of art. 
Yeah, it's it's a, it's a masterpiece through and through, and there's so much more we can discuss, and we'll we'll, we'll do it another time. Uh, we have to make sure it's not another three years until the Fab Three gets together. If anything hey, else, we got the White Album 50th, 50th anniversary next year. That's coming out, and I think also uh, there's an Act Naturally uh, uh, maxi disc that's coming out that we can uh, review. <laughs> <laughs> oh Jesus! Is that coming out soon? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, guys. Anyway, stupidly, you know, one thing. I, one thing I just want to say at the end of this whole thing is, you know how people nowadays throw around that genius. You know? Yes. Oh, oh, he's a genius. Yeah, he's a genius. Well, people, listen to this record, then you'll know the true meaning of what genius is. Yes. Mm. Yes. And four of them at the same time. Five. Yeah. yeah five good point. Five. Martin. That's right. And then there's Magic Alex. Yeah, Magic Alex. I love him. Just one thing about George Martin, because, yes, he, he, he too, has passed on. Um, if it wasn't for George Martin, I don't think the Beatles would be as great as they were. Mm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. The, the big debate of the fifth Beatle. There's only, he might even be the third Beatle if you're going on importance. I mean, George Martin mm. is definitely, definitely one of the five. He's the, well, you he, listen to the benefit of Mr. Kite. It's John, Paul, and George Martin. You know, yeah, so he was as equally, if not even more important to some of the other guys in, in the making of these albums and the creation of these songs. Yeah, he is, absolutely. He was the guy that Paul went to and is like, almost like his dad, like, you know, I hear this and I want that. What can we do? And then yeah. George would be the guy to say, okay, let me get this quartet here and I think it'll achieve what you're trying to. Or John saying... I want to sound like I'm singing on a Tibetan mountaintop, you know? Right. Well, here's another one, too, before we go, is that for Day in the Life, he said he wanted to sound like Elvis on Heartbreak Hotel. He wanted that type of a, of a vibe and an ambiance. So George could find that for him and get them, get him whatever sound he wanted. So, all right, fellas, I got a split, man. Thank you so much. All right, Thank guys. You. Cheers, guys. This is Blast. Thanks, man. Speak soon. Love you guys. Yeah, man. Love you, too. Bye-bye. Anyone who knows us know I'm the one that never speaks, so I'd just like to say thanks a lot. All right, thanks again to the Fab Three, Mike Portnoy from Winery Dogs and from a million other bands, and Charlie Benanti from Anthrax. Love talking Beatles with those guys. Actually, just love talking music with, with them. The 50th anniversary of the Sgt. Pepper's album is out today, June 2nd. Celebrate with us. Go give the album a listen after you finish this podcast. Let me know your favorite song on the album. Hit me up on the Twitter, at Talk is Jericho, and hashtag it, Sergeant Pepper 50 SGT Pepper 50 Let me know uh, your favorite song and your least favorite song. All right. Now, speaking of favorite, or least favorite. It's time for Team Tiger Awesome's take on this week's headline news. This is the news with Team Tiger Awesome. In candy news, Mars announced at the National Confectioners Association's annual Sweets and Snacks Expo, they'll be releasing a new kind of spicy Skittles called Sweet Heat. While it's likely that everybody will hate the new hot Skittles, several groups already named Sweet Heat are sure to be upset. The following is a list of those groups. A troop of police-themed exotic dancers in Orlando, a fire fetish group in Miami, a coalition of vengeful ex-girlfriends that do bar trivia on Thursdays in Tampa, a metal band called Sweat Heat with a typo in their name in Tallahassee, and a softball team started by the Republican members of Florida's state legislature. Litigation is, of course, pending. For more news you think is useful, but when you really think about it, totally isn't useful at all. Listen to the Team Tiger Awesome Show every Sunday right here on the Jericho Network on Podcast One. Forget Trump's fake news. Who needs that when you got Team Tiger Awesome's fake 
BS every Sunday. <laughs> Go subscribe at Apple Podcasts. Be sure to leave them a five-star rating and review as well. Leave all the Jericho Network podcasts, five-star ratings, reviews at Apple Podcasts. Killing the Town with Storm and Cyrus. Great interview with the great Gama this week. Jinder Mahal's uncle and a huge star in India and Canada. And Stampede Wrestling, Karachi Vice. You know what I'm talking about. Rock Talk with Mitch LaFon. Mitch has always got some great guests on. Uh, last week, John Karabi talking about his ousting from um, from Motley Crue. Always lots of good stuff there. The Raven Effect. Raven's giving his whole history of wrestling and the flagship show. Keeping it 100 with Conan this week. They have got uh, so much stuff. Sports, hockey, baseball, wrestling, everything in between. And don't forget about Beyond the Darkness. Scaring the crap out of you five days a week. Brand new episode every day. And you can also get in on their True Crime Tuesdays as well. Dave Schrader and Tim Dennis, the two guys behind Beyond the Darkness, are doing a weekly True Crime Tuesday podcast. You can only get it by signing up at Patreon.com. For just five bucks a month, you'll get a new episode every single Tuesday. And the episodes are all commercial-free. No commercials, no commercials, no commercials. Sign up now at Patreon.com. And sign up now to all my great sponsors. One more thank you. DDPyoga.com slash Jericho. 20% off the DDP Yoga Now app and all DDP Yoga Related match saxunderwear.com slash Jericho. 20% off your first order of the most comfortable underwear you ever wear. True car. Uh, don't forget Little Caesars. Uh, just keep listening, man. And keep listening here for great guests. And keep listening for the 60-second AP News headlines. Coming up next. And uh, next Wednesday, uh, another huge, huge show. Another huge show. We've got, uh, wow, it's pretty crazy. We've got an exorcist on the show. That's right. Exorcist Rachel Stavis is here next, to, uh, next Wednesday. And she's going to scare the crap out of you um it's really crazy she looks like a tv star she looks like she should be in hollywood hosting an exorcist show but no she actually is an exorcist a real life exorcist rachel stavis will be here on wednesday bringing the paranormal back and next friday wow what a huge surprise i have for you i'm gonna leave that for friday wednesday rachel stavis exorcist is going to be here and uh in the meantime in between time go put on sergeant pepper and check it out and uh, stay hungry and a big yeah boy sergeant pepper's lonely sergeant pepper's lonely sergeant pepper's lonely you can download new episodes of Talk is Jericho every Wednesday and Friday at podcast1.com. That's podcast1.com.